Support for the Trailblazers.fm podcast comes from the Campaign for Black Male Achievement, a national membership network of more than 5,000 members all across the country working to improve the life outcomes of our black men and boys. I'm so excited to share that on Thursday, October 18th, CBMA will be celebrating their 10th year anniversary and commemorate a decade of growth and impact for the Black Male Achievement Movement. Now, this gala is going to be honoring Tanya Allen of the Skillman Foundation, one of our past guests, John Rogers Jr., the CEO of Aerial Investments, and George Soros, founder of the Open Society Foundations. To learn more about purchasing tickets to the gala or If you'd like to become a sponsor for the event, please visit blackmailachievement.org or you can shoot me an email, steven at tvpod.com. You're listening to the Trailblazers podcast, where we will explore the stories of successful black professionals. Join us as we highlight the knowledge, resources, and tools of these accomplished trailblazers to help provide the know-how, confidence, and motivation you need to blaze your trail. And now, here's your host, Stephen Hart. Blazing Nation, hello and welcome to an all-new episode of the Trailblazers.fm podcast. Today, we are continuing in this six-week series called Trailblazer Entrepreneurs. It's our first focus series on entrepreneurs, and we're taking you into the lives and through stories of seven Black entrepreneurs and business owners who have accomplished their slice of greatness and are continuing right, to push toward even higher heights. If today's your first time listening, I want to thank you so much for taking time to tune in, and we invite you to hop on over to our website. And there you can check out the archives. We have over 130 plus episodes of Black Excellence waiting right there for you. And we have a little something in store for everyone at this point, right? So our website, our web address is tvpod.com. And you can also follow us. We're very active on the gram and on Twitter. Our handle is at tvpod. If you missed last week's episode, guys, listen, go back and listen to episode 136, with the one and only Janice Bryant Holroyd. She did an amazing job, a very powerful, inspiring, just mind-blowing interview. Do yourself and make sure you listen to that one. Today, we are continuing in this series. Our featured guest for today is Mr. Joshua Esnod. Joshua was formerly this 13-year-old kid who was sick of his father's haircuts and unable to get to a barbershop. And this St. Lucia native decided he was going to fix that problem. He's now the inventor and CEO of a company called The Cut Buddy, the beard and haircut grooming template that rode a wave of internet virality to become a number one bestseller on Amazon, featured in GQ and Forbes, and landed a deal with Damon John and ABC's Shark Tank. Blazer Nation, join me in welcoming today's featured trailblazer, Mr. Joshua Esnard. Let's go. Joshua, welcome to the Trailblazers podcast, my brother. Thank you for having me, Stephen. So, you know, I have a habit. I don't know how much of our episodes you've been able to absorb, but I have a habit of kicking off these conversations, talking about gratitude, right? So I'd love to maybe have you think for just a moment and share what you're most grateful for in your life right now. That's a great question. And it's definitely family. You know, I would not be able to be where I am without my rocks and my support. So Well, one, I have a 10-month-old son who he drives me to do greater things every day. But then I have my fiance and my parents and my team that work with me every day. And without them, I think I would have gone crazy by now. Yes, can't agree with you more, man. 
And that's a smart man. Give props to the fiance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Take you along. Mate. I don't want to end up in a doghouse. <laughs> so you're born in the beautiful island of St. Lucia, as I've, I've read. Is that correct? Yes, you did your research. I am from Castries, St. Lucia. Awesome. So I'm actually heading there in a few weeks, actually. Okay. I'll be celebrating my 10th wedding anniversary. And we decided, you know, we got married in Jamaica. And we said, you know what, let's keep it in the islands for the tent. Oh, you're going at a good time. You, you'll be able to jump the band and kind of off. <laughs> <laughs> that would be fun. That'd be great. <laughs> but I saw that you were raised in Ithaca, New York, right? Yeah. So I was born in St. Lucia. My parents were really young and they started pursuing higher education. So, you know, we jumped from St. Lucia to Puerto Rico to Massachusetts, to, you know, North Carolina, and then ended up in upstate New York. And that's them going through all their degrees and, you know, ah. persevering until they got their PhD and ended up being professors at Cornell. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. We probably need to bring mom and dad on a podcast. That's, that's what I'm saying. Their life is probably more interesting than mine. <laughs> that's awesome, man. Do you get back to St. Lucia? So I'm actually going back pretty soon. It'll be the first time in a pretty long time. Between the ages of, you know, 13 and my late 20s, that was really a time I had to be on my grind and, you know, learn job trades and go to school. So, you know, I didn't really have enough money to really take any vacations like that. But Spoken like a true entrepreneur. (laughs) 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 I had to be on my grind at 13. (laughs) I love that. So I did read, though, that growing up, you were someone who would tinker with electronics, you'd open up stuff and tinker around. I was curious to know, like, you know, was that something that maybe hinted to you that you had an entrepreneurial gene or did you just sum it up back then that you just had a knack for wanting to figure things out? So it was a knack for figuring things out. And it was definitely, I would say, two things. Well, A, I was only child syndrome. Mm -hmm. You know, I I was the first kid of young parents that were always studying. And B, I was left-handed. So, you know, naturally. I I knew we would be good friends already. (laughs) (laughs) So naturally, my mind just wanders into, you know, magical worlds and creative, you know, things. And I mean, that's kind of what spurred me to just, you know, draw or break apart things and try and put it together. My dad always used to talk about, you know, the toys and the things that they used to have when they were younger. It wasn't toys you went to Toys R Us to buy. It was, you know, you made your own bamboo cannons or you made your own like (laughs) box carts and stuff like that, you know. So he kind of pushed me to actually really be creative and make my own toys Mm -hmm. sometimes. That's awesome. Yeah. Surprising you didn't turn into like an engineer, right? Yeah, you know, that's weird. I think maybe closer to college, I really wanted to do something within the design and the arts area. And that wasn't really big. Like graphic design wasn't so big as it was now. And so my dad kind of veered me to more of, why don't you learn business? And then maybe you could open up your own graphic design business. And so I went down the business path at school, but I always stayed creative and always drew and, you know, did graphic design on my free time. Wow. That's awesome. So let's talk about your product, the Cut Buddy. Yeah. 
what sparked this idea? I've read about it, but I'd love for you to share with the community, you know, what, for sure, what sparked. For sure. This is like just a, almost like a story that started all the way back many moons ago in St. Lucia. You know, my dad, you know, being a young guy, Caribbean guy, he's a super DIY guy to me and do it yourself. So he was the barber in the house. So, you know, mm. I wanted all the haircuts as a kid and my dad was the barber. But the thing about it is there's a, a hairstyle in the Caribbean, very known name is Cobo. And basically that's when you just get the clipper over your head and you just get one flat cut. You know, you can ask your dad for a Caesar or fade or edge up or a taper, but you're going to get cobble. You're just going to get the flat cut no matter what. (laughs) So I was hitting around like 13 years old in Ithaca, New York. And, you know, like all the kids are going to school with the name brand clothes. It's like Boss and Paco and Fubu were big at the time. And then all the kids were parents were bringing them to the barber shop, which was really far away in Ithaca. So me being in this snowy place far away and having this Caribbean dad that was going to be my barber and he wasn't going to pay for a barber, you know, I had to really figure out what I was going to do. So what I started doing was I tried to cut my own hair with his clippers. He had these old clippers and as you can imagine, a 13-year-old kid trying to cut his own hair. <laughs> yeah, man. I jacked up my hairlines. I had like balls. I look like a cheetah, man. <laughs> so uh, I basically, I had the nicest hats in school for a good six months because you know I was so embarrassed. Yeah, people used to be like, man, that's a dope hat. It's like, yeah, but you don't want to see what's under there. So after a while, I kept like messing around because I was artistic and I could, you know, make my own little gadgets. So I started cutting up household appliances and I would put it against my head and see, you know, what would help me guide this clipper or what can we do to make like a rail so that these clippers don't keep pushing against my hairline and messing up my haircut. So, you know, to my surprise, the first prototype that I made you know, my edge up and my hairlines came out like near a barber quality to the point where people were like, are you going to another barber that's closer that we don't know about? And I was like, no, I'm cutting my own hair. So this little piece of plastic, you know, it helped me just get over a barrier of cutting my hair. I only went to the barber probably like three times over like 15 years. I used this little green piece of plastic before job interviews, you know, before dates, you know, I cut my baby brother was born. I cut his hair with it. I cut my roommates with it in college. You know, my roommates used it on themselves. So like it just was a normal tool that was helping us get through the struggles of being broke and not being able to afford a haircut, you know, in college and stuff. And I didn't really think I had anything until, you know, I hit like a critical moment when I turned like 28 that really pushed me to patent this product. Hold on. So you're just using this casually for 15 years? Yeah. Research and development for 15 years with no intention to release a product, basically, because <laughs> I didn't even know I had a product. Wow. So like yeah. at no point did somebody say, you know, Josh, like, would you sell me this or? No point, because I think we just thought it was such a simple, helpful tool that we just overlooked it. And you know what? The spark of actually saying you need to do something about this because this is genius, that identification trait 
it's missing in most of us. I mean, most of us, like it's hard to actually tell, oh crap, you need to do something about this. Cause a lot of us aren't, don't have that on our mind. We just have, you know, cut my hair, go to work the next day, sleep and reset. You know, we don't think about, Ooh, I need to write this It'll down so fast. Yeah, uh-huh. And I need to invent this and I need to release this as a product, you know? So hold on. So what happened 15 years later? What what was that aha moment that was like, you know what? I could sell this. this. I could make some money here. Yeah. So this is where it gets weird. And this is why I had to give thanks to my fiance because she saved the day here. So we were moving into a house in Fort Lauderdale and she has this big clunky treadmill and we're trying to push it through the door. And it just won't fit. So I had to take the door off the handles and we struggled to push this thing into the garage. Finally got it in there. You know, we're all scratched up and everything and I'm tired and I'm like, man, that was crazy. And she's like, you should put the door back on the hinges. I said, you know what? I'm tired. I'll do it some other time. And it was as if, I don't know, like a higher power from above, like struck her with a lightning bolt and then she pointed at me and then she just let that lightning bolt go into my heart and she said you know what you never finish what you start and and i was like (laughs) wow like i took it way more serious than just put the door back on the hinges i took it as you're not like really doing anything with your life you're not like pursuing your dreams you need to like finish these amazing projects and ideas that you have. And I, I'm pretty sure she probably just meant put the door back on the hinges. Uh-huh. But yeah, I'm glad she said it because the next day I had this inventor book of drawings from when I was a kid. And the first page was, guess what? The Cut Buddy. Exactly. <laughs> the first page of my inventor book was The Cut Buddy. So I have like 70, 80 inventions in this book. But I just like was like, all right, let's try out the first one. And it was that product that sat near my sink for 15 years that I had, you know, tested and tested and tested. And now is the big time for this product to actually come to the world. So I went to a lawyer, filed the patent. And next thing you know, I was off to try and go to pitch competitions to show the world this amazing invention that I was going to release. But you know what? It just was a rough road. Nobody trusted the product. I heard crickets after my presentations. You know, I'd never win a pitch competition. I'd lose all of them. And, you know, I had to bootstrap the business with my last few pennies in my credit. Actually, I overspent my credit card. I always forget that. Like I went over my limit to buy my first 3,000 units and they all showed up. They showed up a few months later in that garage sitting right next to the treadmill. So, (laughs) (laughs) wow. So, there's so much you packed in here. I know. I kind of want to come back to, of course, I'm like thinking, because I feel like with a podcast, sometimes the platform is doing so well today, but I had this idea probably a good two, three years before. And so I always ask myself, I always find myself with this what if, right? Like, what if I had started this two years before? But Josh, you had like 15 years. I still can't come back to this. Like, Do you ask yourself, you know, where you think you'd have been had you launched this as a teen, right? Or a younger adult. I mean, even five or six or seven years before, that probably put you on a completely different trajectory, right? By this point. Listen, the grand designer creates 
you and time to run into each other at specific moments. So, mm-hmm. you know, that time that I was very broke, that time that we were struggling to move the treadmill in, the 15 years of actually testing this product all ran into each other at the right time of when I was sick of my day job. All those things needed to happen. Business school, you know, all of that stuff needed to happen for me to really have the grit to run this company. Now, if I had started it as a teenager, I would have been missing many of those components. Plus, I wouldn't have gotten a kick in the butt to start it. Mm -hmm. You know, I probably wouldn't have known some of the things I know in business. My graphic design skills wouldn't have been as mature. So I think it was actually the perfect timing. Although I would I would never tell a kid who has a great idea to be quiet about it now because now there are resources in the world that can fund you or back you, you know. So, you know, growing up we didn't have YouTube or social media or graphic design. These are new things going on right now, you know. That's right. <laughs> That's so true. But you talk about having to bootstrap, right? Because that was one of the things I was also wondering, like, where did you gain access to capital and the manpower needed to get things going? So you bootstrap, but were there specific people, right, that helped you to maybe got behind a project and, and were able to help you take it to that next level? So in the early phases... I started building a team of early founders because I didn't have the funding to hire people. So I offered equity to some of the people that I grew up with. The funny thing about running a business is actually you're actually a talent scout most of the time instead of actually a manager. You're kind of scouting people for their strengths and talents and leveraging their skills. So I have I had a friend named Pima Mbwana who I grew up with in Ithaca. He was the younger brother to my best friend in high school. You know, we would sneak in the house from a late party and he was like the younger brother who would hear us and unlock the door and sneak us into the house so that we could sneak in the room and go to sleep without getting caught by parents. And like he was always the kid that we'd play fight with and everything. But like, I always knew that he had a little hustle or pep to him as a little kid. And, you know, 15 years later, he posted a post on Facebook saying, I just got out of college. I'm still at home, but I want to, anybody who has a startup or an idea, I just want to help. And it just was a perfect timing. I was like, yo, I have something brewing. You want to come down to Florida and live with us for a while and we'll launch this business. And he came down and, you know, we started strategizing to push this business. And, you know, my other founder, Alex Krezovich, was a kid I met in Ithaca, New York as well. And I was managing him in music for many years. He was a music producer who's produced for like CeeLo, Panic at the Disco, you know, NBA 2K12 video games. Uh, Yeah, I had a music career too. (laughs) But... He can find any email of anyone that you ask him for. He'll, he could find Kanye's email if he wants. He could find, he just had this skill of headhunting <laughs> things. So I was like, you know what? How can I use these people with their transferable skills to come over and work for the Cut Buddy? 
And, you know, it's been beneficial with both of them on the team from early, early on. So that's really what got things moving. Nobody else reached out to help. It was us by ourselves. First off, Nobody believed in the product. I have friends till this day that will look me in my face and say, dude, I always knew that was going to take off. And if I could just rewind time to the time where we were drinking <laughs> beers around a table and you were pointing at me, laughing at me for trying to run this business, I would. But I'm just going to let you you know, feel good about supporting me. But I know that you didn't support me before. You know, we didn't get much support in this at all. You know, I would say the funny thing is I lost the pitch competition at Black Enterprise and that really hurt me. But they had three judges. They ended up choosing an app as the winner because everybody wants to choose an app, the new technology thing. Low tech is not sexy. But Alfred Edmund Jr. kept in contact with me and kind of mentored me from the time that I lost, like we'd still talk back and forth. And he was kind of like, he was one of the first big people that actually supported the idea of the cut buddy. So I have to give him a shout out. But besides that, big up to Alfred. You know, Alfred's one of our past guests. So he's been on the, that's my dude, on the podcast man. twice. Is, is a great yeah, human man. being. Love it. Love it. Love it. That's awesome. So You've shared several challenges, right, that you've faced. What, and we love to talk about challenges and failures on a podcast because I think what comes from it is the lessons that you've learned, right, and the things you learned about yourself in that journey. Could you maybe walk us through some of that that you experienced and kind of some of the lessons that you've been able to take away? I want to say the biggest challenge that we actually faced as a business was when we first started the only real way we knew how to market was do videos. And at the time, I was actually balding. So I started using my product in these videos on YouTube. And a lot of people were making fun of me, like my hairline, like calling my hairline like a cul-de-sac or like a five head, like a LeBron. <laughs> I'm a right there with your Like a LeBron <laughs> hairline or whatever. Like they just were roasting me. So we'd get like a few sales per day, but that really broke my spirit. And I think a lot of people end up going through that phase in the business where they just had the strength to start and they're tippy toeing and being careful. And then one person says something bad about their product and they just, you know, get the pressure. Yeah, they want to shut down the whole business. But they have to realize that someone's going to complain about something 10 times quicker than someone is going to praise it. Compliments. Yeah, mm. exactly. So Powerful um, wisdom right there. Yeah. yeah. Social media on top of it is a place where people try and escape their day jobs and the fact that their life probably sucks. So they use social media to channel their anger onto other people. So that's why you see more things like people getting made fun of or trolling or, you know, you never really see positive things going on on Facebook comments. You know, it's usually people trying to find comedic relief for their day. So I think that's very important for you to have a team that keeps your head strong. And then it's also very important for you to keep some of the reviews or emails you get 
randomly from people who praise your product because those are going to be important for you and your heart and it'll let you know that your product is validated and actually doing something. So we went through that issue where people were making fun of me and then finally, you know, we stepped to the side and said, you know, let's take Josh out of being the model and let's find these affiliates online that are on YouTube and let's offer them a royalty, but also offer them a coupon code for customers. And we leveraged those guys' following. They would cut their hair with the cut buddy. And they would. there was times that we were getting 100, 200, all the way up to 400 sales per day due to affiliate marketing. Wow. Yeah. And that was, we had literally spent $0 on marketing for our first many months. Hey, I hope you're enjoying this episode so far. I wanted to take a quick break right here and ask you a quick question. When you hear the words personal branding, what are you thinking of? I have a good many people who have responded to this saying they're thinking of a logo or maybe a website. And those are just a couple elements, right, to a personal brand, but they're not everything. In fact, your personal brand is in large part this ongoing process and development of your online reputation, your image, and a promise you're making to those that you interact with and influence on a day-to-day basis. And it's also derived from who you are, who you want to be, and who people perceive you to be. Now, in 2018, whether you are a CEO, uh, entrepreneur, a corporate professional, or you're a college grad, someone is Googling your name and the results that they find, if any, and a story being told about you and your brand is going to leave that person who is searching either more or less inclined to connect with you, do business with you, or hire you. And if you know right now that you need to fix this, if you know you need to begin building your personal brand or enhancing what you have already started working on, but you have no idea what to do from here or how to get started, I'd like to encourage you to sign up right now to learn more about my personal branding course called Brand You Academy. It's a first-class, six-week online program designed to help you build your amazing personal brand and digital footprint. If you're interested and you want to learn more, hop on over right now to tbpod.com slash brand you. Again, that's tbpod.com slash brand you. Now let's get back to today's episode. So you kind of had a breakthrough with a video that ended up going viral or creating like thousands of autos for you, right? Correct. So during the month of March, we had been on our like second month of affiliates. I'd hired four guys to do videos with my product. And one of them named 360 Waves Process, his video, right. uh, you know, hit nearly a million views on YouTube. What? But someone took his video and chopped it up into like a very quick video. And they put it on one of those like DIY Facebook pages that just do the really quick videos of like do it yourself, like making a cake or, you know, making lasagna or cutting your own hair. And it blew up and hit 10 million views like in a few like hours and our orders started just flooding in, you know, thousands of orders. I thought my phone was broken. I remember looking at it and it was buzzing and ringing and like the phone was hot. I just thought my Galaxy number three, I think, was garbage. <laughs> so I was like, what's wrong with my phone? And I like looked at my email and at the time we were using Wix as the website and it just says, 
Wix, congratulations, you have an order. And this was going on for like hundreds of pages on my Google. And I'm like, what? Like, oh my gosh. Like, wait, something has to be a glitch here. And then like I look at Facebook, I look at my text. Like my phone has notifications for like days going across the top. And I like see people that I haven't talked to from high school are like, yo, I was on a basketball court and someone stopped the game and showed me this video and it was your product. And like, I'm hearing like people in St. Lucia sending me emails telling me, yo, your product is all over the internet. And then I'm like, I'm looking at my Amazon. I'm looking everywhere. Product is just buzzing and the sales aren't stopping. Like at this point, I'm afraid. You want to know why I'm afraid? So you don't have the inventory? Exactly. <laughs> I didn't. I never knew how to control the inventory counter on, oh. on my thing. So like it, uh, I had like 300 units. No, I had like 200 something units left in my garage. And I sold like thousands of orders in a few hours. And I was like, damn. Oh, yeah, PayPal froze my accounts. SunTrust froze my accounts. You know, they thought it was they thought, some type of yeah, fraud. You know, they're not those companies. Unfortunately, those companies aren't built a for the seller to go viral. I don't think they're mm-hmm. they weren't built by a senior management team that understands the power of viral movement. So they literally just shut down my account. You have to think our algorithm probably is set up to think that. All right you know, past certain thresholds. Correct. Let's pause Correct. this, right? Correct. And vet to make sure it's legit. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah, I mean, crazy. we can get in a deeper th- conversation though, but that PayPal will freeze your account. And when you call them and you actually explain what's going on, their policy, this is red tape all over. Their policy states that they have to freeze your stuff for 180 days. What? So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I won't be surprised if PayPal is going to be in the news over a lawsuit over that in the future. But yeah, they froze my money for 180 days. Uh, after I explained everything that was going on, they still froze oh my, my gosh. Yeah, they probably, so, probably get an interest off of it that whole 180 days too. That's the crazy thing. So hold on, that really happened? You were locked out of funds for 180 days? Yeah, you look on the internet right now, the policy with PayPal, they freeze your account for six months, freeze your funds. So hold on, no, 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 this changes. So how did you fulfill these orders without access to your funds? Dude, that was was the thing, you know. It just happened to be that, you know, so many orders came in that SunTrust, my merchant account that wasn't PayPal payments, and also my Amazon orders, those were enough for me to re-up on inventory. So I had a lot of money just stuck in PayPal, but I had just enough to buy more inventory in my bank accounts. Now, when I talked to SunTrust, they understood. They were like, okay, send us some invoices from your manufacturer just so that we know this isn't fake. And I did it and boom, my money was good to go. You know, I understand freezing your account. I understand it. But for 100 yeah, days, that's, so. that's a little bit weird right there, you know. But yeah, that was damage control was the vibe of the whole month, basically. Because I'm getting like emails right. of people threatening to sue me and stuff like that. Not so what, custom experience. From yeah, customers. exactly. So what we did was we sent an email to everybody 
that ordered and we said, when we do get the product in, well, you have two choices. One, I refund you right now, all your money, you go about your business. Maybe in the future, you come back and buy from us when we get our stuff together. Or B, you can wait till April 20th or something like that. And I will give you a free unit on top of the product that you already ordered. So it's either you get a double order or you get a full refund. You know, more than 90% of the people actually ended up taking the double order because they're like, you know, I've been waiting for this type of product my whole life. What's two more months, you know? A few. Wow. Yeah, man. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's something amazing. I, I so I mean, the term everybody would be like, "Man, that's a good problem to have." I'm like, "Nah, it's, it's a great yeah. problem." I went viral, and the product is a number one bestseller on Amazon right now, and everything is so great. But my customers are mad at me, and that's all that I have, you know. So, but yeah, that was an amazing experience. Not many people in the world can never tell you what going viral feels like, you know. Right. Right. Yeah. I've had the conversation with a couple of people. And I know you've had a Shark Tank experience, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in between the time from going viral and, you know, being a bestseller on Amazon and, you know, GQ, Forbes, Black Enterprise, you know, all types of NPR and stuff like that covering our story. You know, we got contacted by Shark Tank and they said it, they asked if we'd be interested to be on a show. We never had to actually like go to a mall and try out or something like that. We got contacted by them, but that's awesome. It's a rigorous process. I'm telling you every week they call you, you can't even get caught slipping. Like if you're drunk at a bar, you might just get a call from the producer. Like (laughs) we need you to recite your pitch now because we're cutting people. (laughs) It's like, oh no. (laughs) Wow. If you had a few drinks and you mess up your pitch, you might get cut right there. You know? (laughs) Actually, I don't know if you're familiar with Sarah Ribna, but she was on the podcast and she'd been on Shark Tank as well. And she had shared much of those the very similar experiences to what you've you've shared and the customer service experiences that came on the back end of Shark Tank mm-hmm. and having that crazy spike in orders and backlog of orders to fill, not having inventory. Yeah you know, and dealing with the customer experience headaches. Have you been able to put like processes and systems in place to handle, you know, any kind of future spikes that might happen? So the experience of going viral the first time, like when Shark Tank came around, I was like, I could just lay on my back and handle this. And like, we went through the, (laughs) we went through the worst possible experience of going viral. So we were ready for anything. Like I had Mm. all hands on deck, all the employees in front of all the social accounts during the show. It's very important for you to mind the time zones because the show airs at different times across the world. It's very important for you to filter very quickly through your email who is BSing and who actually has a legitimate proposal or question because 99% of people that are going to either contact you A, are trying to figure out how they're related to you, or B, are trying to propose some type of scam to get to work with your company. So that's the one thing you're going to see a lot of emails coming in. You're going to have to learn how to decipher really quickly by organizing your inbox. Because one, you don't want to miss a great client, but two, you don't want to spend too much time 
you know, reading into details of someone who's a LinkedIn consultant. That's what I call them. (laughs) (laughs) People on LinkedIn that are in between jobs, but they all of a sudden like a professional sales or and marketing expert. Nah, bro. (laughs) Lying. (laughs) I'm dying. That's the truth. (laughs) I get I get one of those every day. Every day, right? And the thing that bothers me is some of them don't even have the courtesy to write an actual message to me that's customized. They just send me like mm-hmm. a robotic automatic message. I'm just like, come on, man. You know? But anyway, that's a whole nother conversation of how to have LinkedIn etiquette. I was just going to say, because we probably connected through LinkedIn, but you know, to your point, man, I mean, you get so much junk yeah. from people pitching, yeah. you know, through these platforms, LinkedIn being a big one, but it also has the opportunity to be a great platform to create connection and create Amazing. Yeah, amazing. If you I do just, it properly. Yeah, I just hate that the bad apples are turning it into my space of professional yeah. networks, even though it's really like the only professional network. But what I'm saying is yeah, no, no, no. dousing down the credibility by doing that. You know, yeah, absolutely. So, I wanted to pick your brain on a couple more things here for sure. before you know. I imagine that you have this big vision for Cut Buddy going forward, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can't help but think that there are a million different directions that you could kind of take as you look at growth, mm-hmm. right? How do you navigate all those different options, right? As entrepreneurs, the thousands of ideas, as you said, you have a book of you know tens of ideas that you'd love to see come to fruition, but not to think of like the thousands of thoughts that hit us on a daily basis. But how do you navigate through all these different options to be able to to decide on how you grow and how you take it to the next level? Well, the number one thing is you have to get a business to a level where even if you die or even if something happens to you or you don't feel like doing anything, there's going to be a great income coming in every week. So I think that was the first goal that we had. The first goal was to keep the business afloat forever. What you want to do after you have a successful product that blew up really quickly is you want to find licensing opportunities so that now you have these big brands creating your product and paying you a royalty like for the rest of your life. Hmm. You also want to get it to a point where it's probably fulfilled by Amazon and you're just sending inventory to Amazon and it's just selling very well on Amazon and you don't really have to do any marketing. you know. So once you get the business to that point, I think you have to ask yourself, who are you and what's your mission? Mm-hmm. People know I'm an inventor and I like to fill gaps with little ideas or, you know, inventions that can help people move forward. So I don't see myself as crazy as this sound. I don't see myself being a grooming giant, but I do see myself being an inventor of multiple products that help people get over barriers. So then you got to ask, you know, what's going to happen to the cut buddy based on your mission and your vision? So what ends up happening is what I can do is I can start offering some more products and get them to a point where they're like the cut buddy and automatic. Mm-hmm. You know, I can hire a new CEO to run the business, but I know I'm not going to die as 
the CEO of the Cut Buddy. So I have to make plans from now to basically give me an avenue to release my other inventions as well. Yes. You know? Yes. I can relate, man. I hear you. I hear you and I can connect to your message. I can already see that I'm getting myself stuck in this role. Stuck sounds bad, but I'm getting myself stuck as a grooming empire, which I don't want to be labeled that because that's not who I am. I can't even tell you half of the haircuts that are out there. You know, I just made a product because I was broke, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, you've been talking about ideas. We've had the conversation about ideas throughout our call. I can't help but think of Les Brown, who said, you know, the the wealthiest place in the world is a graveyard, right? Because it's where so many ideas are buried and never came to life, right? I can't help but think, you know, there probably are several people in our community listening to this conversation and can relate to your story. They're sitting on an idea that the experiment with, but simply didn't see it through, yeah. right, Josh? So what's your advice to them to get their business going, get this idea off the ground? Yeah, so number one, the main thing here is I think a lot of people get discouraged because they're thinking about the great picture of the cut buddy being on Shark Tank and ending up in Walmart stores and working with Andis and Damon John as a partner. And I have to manufacture millions of units and do all this accounting and stuff. Once you start thinking about that, you're going to get discouraged. So Mm -hmm. I want people to take steps, very small steps. You know, the very simple thing that you can do to actually be the most successful is literally buy yourself one of those composition notebooks and just draw your problems. So every day, That's the thing. Every day in a low or middle income family's house, even in rich kids' families' houses, every day we say, damn, I wish I could do this. Or man, this thing doesn't work well. Or I wish that this product could do this. Like every day you ask yourself why or how come, you know? And I think if you've triggered your mind to like basically ring a bell every time you say how come, or why can't, or I wish, if you say those three things, as soon as you start saying that, I think you should bust out your composition notebook and write down that question that you posed. And I'm not asking you to solve it by creating a product right there. Just write the question down. And then when you're sitting on a toilet or having yourself a nice shower, you use that time to start thinking of, you know, how can I actually answer that why or how come or I wish statement. And you start drawing ideas, you know, over time, you know, it's not a rush. It's not a race. You know, the reason why we create inventions. Now, this is the important thing. Everybody thinks they want to create an invention and get rich. The reason why we create an invention is because we want to help ourselves. Exactly. Have a better life. So if you're not trying to solve a problem for yourself or for someone else, maybe with disabilities or something to have a better life, then your goal is all messed up. You know, you can't just sit there in front of a notebook and say, oh, next million dollar idea, I'm going to think about it right now. No, you have to go live and you have to go through pain and a struggle and a barrier and you have to solve your own issue. And that's how you become an inventor, you know? So I think a lot of people look at the end game and get discouraged. It's a very hard process. I'm not going to lie. 
But if you take it steps at a time, it's very easy, you know, and you just just have to be ready emotionally to handle it. That's all. Love that, man. Love, love your sharing Brother, I could uh, I could easily talk to you for another hour, but we're getting close to the top of the hour here. And I just wanted to, before I let you go, ask you a couple of questions that we ask all our featured guests, right? So what's maybe some books or resources that you're reading right now that maybe you'd want to share with our community and recommend that they add to their summer reading list? So here's the funny thing. I don't actually read very well so i get audiobooks so do i uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> well i read slow i used to be the kid in class that the teacher used to have to read along with fun we had to read out loud because yeah. i was so bad well i lived in puerto rico when i was two so my first language was strangely spanish i'm really? not hispanic wow. at all so like ever <laughs> since then my english has just been messed up somehow but anyway back to the point so my favorite audiobooks are definitely Power of Broke by Damon John. I was reading that yes. before I ever even got a chance to shake his hand. Wow. He has a new one called Rise and Grind that I'm slowly listening to. But the cool thing about Rise and Grind is that he goes through different profiles of people and asks them what makes them wake up and have motivation in their life to do the things that they do. So I like those two. Not because it's Damon John and he's my partners, because they're actually very good books for motivation and definitely have some gems that can help you. The other one that is crazy that I'm reading is Elon Musk's book. That's a dark and mysterious guy. Not dark in character, but that's like a, he's a, like a strange genius. And like <laughs> just reading about his life and the chances that he takes I mean, it fascinates you. It makes you feel so small. You know, here am I am with the cut buddy. And here's this guy. Created PayPal and Tesla. And, exactly. Uh, launching rockets. Yeah. Launching rockets <laughs> and then landing them on top of it so that they can recycle rockets. Like, really? Dude, that's awesome. So I'm yeah. reading that one as well. And that's actually spurred my mind to start a new medical tech company with one of my colleagues. But yeah, those are, I would say those three are the ones that I continue to go back to when I have a chance. Love it. Love it. So my last question for you, what's one action, right? That we can begin doing this week right now. That's going to help us in our own pursuit to Blazer Trail. It's simple. Next time you're at a grocery store or a CVS, Buy yourself a composition notebook, one of the ugly ones with like the zebra patterns in the front. So nobody feels <laughs> it or misplaces it and you know exactly where it is. Get yourself one of those and train your mind to remember every time that you say, how come I wish you will definitely have a lot of ideas and questions that you can write into that composition book. So always question things and always write them down. I love that. I love that action item. And I love the habit that it begins to form in us to look at things from the angle of what problem can I solve as a marketer day to day? I constantly think of, you know, what's in it for me? What's in it for my customer? Right? What value am I bringing to the person that I'm wanting to share a message with or a product or a service with? 
And I think that's a great way to help new entrepreneurs and existing entrepreneurs really to tune their approach from, you know, how can I make money to how can I solve this problem? So I appreciate that, Joshua. Thank you so much for sharing this conversation with us. Tell us how we can stay connected to you. and We can wrap up for today. You know, you can find us at The Cut Buddy on every single, you know, social channel. Or you can just simply find me on LinkedIn as Joshua Esnard. I always answer my email and I always answer every question on LinkedIn. I answer except if I see that it's an automated message, I ignore your message. So. <laughs> That's right. Josh Esnard, thank you so much, my brother. Appreciate you. Steven, thank you for having me on Trailblazers FM. Sometimes I don't understand why I'm so special and people want to listen to my story, but I appreciate you even giving me a chance to share some type of motivation to the youth or anybody out there that has an idea. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Trailblazers podcast. I'll be posting links to all of today's book recommendations and links mentioned on our show notes page at tdpod.com. If today was your first time listening to the Trailblazers podcast, I just want to extend a warm Trailblazers welcome to you. We're so happy to have you here and we encourage you to go ahead and hit that subscribe button in your favorite podcast app. Go ahead and browse through some of our past episodes to keep the knowledge flowing. If you're a fan of the podcast and today's content, and you're maybe already subscribed to the podcast, please continue to share and invite your friends, your family, your colleagues to listen to an episode that you think might impact them most. We believe that someone listening to these inspiring stories will be moved to make significant changes that will have generational impact for many others both now and well into the future don't miss next week's episode new episodes are released each and every monday by about 5 a.m eastern trailblazers jump off this podcast today go find a way to rise above go way beyond and keep blazing your trail cheers